Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts today. There's another host who is joining me, Daniel Sun. Ayo. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you can do that. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 110 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of Patreon-exclusive episodes, just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon Episodes tab, and there will be the entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have previously published. Also today, we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is the Broadhaven UFO Sightings. And it's a story about a bunch of school children who had seen a UFO and a strange tall man outside of school one day. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you would like to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the 1561 Nuremberg UFO battle. So how this episode will go today is that we'll talk about what occurred in Nuremberg and then we'll go over the event and then the strange facts and findings, the theories, and then of course wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. Almost 500 years ago, in a small town of Germany, hundreds of individuals looked up into the sky and were shocked at what they saw. Hundreds of fireballs were exploding in the sky as weird-looking crafts of all shapes and sizes came flying out of the sun towards the other crafts whizzing past them. Eventually, a large triangular object appeared in the sky, and the residents of the town heard a large crash outside the city wall. Did the people in that small town really witness an intergalactic war between various UFOs? Or was it merely just an atmospheric phenomenon? This is the 1561 Nuremberg UFO Battle. So for us to understand this entire story, we have to go back almost 500 years ago and talk a little bit about what the people at the time knew about space, stars, planets, and all that good stuff, okay? So Dan, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
So in the mid-1500s, mankind had very little knowledge regarding planets and stars. The knowledge they did have at that time was more connected with astrology than with science. For example, back then they didn't know that there were thousands of Earth-like planets in the universe and that most of them have the ability to sustain life. Also, the belief in aliens was pretty much unheard of back then. So if a UFO or an alien came from outer space, most likely people at that time would say, eh, it's an angel from heaven or something similar to that. All right, now that you have that understanding, let's talk about what this entire episode is about. The strange event that took place in 1561. So this all started on the morning of April 14th, 1561. On that day, people in the town of Nuremberg, Germany, were waking up and getting ready for the day. It was around 5 a.m. The sun had just started coming up over the horizon, so it was still a little chilly outside, around 40 degrees, and it seemed like a pretty typical morning. However, that would all change. When the residents of Nuremberg stepped outside, they began to notice random flashes of lights coming from above. Now, as these residents looked above, they were shocked at what they saw. In the sky above them were multiple objects in all different shapes and sizes. For example, there were blood-red, half-moon-shaped objects that looked like they were inside of the sun. Outside of the sun, just hovering around it in the sky, there were multiple dark cylindrical, triangular, and even cross-shaped objects of all different sizes. Eventually, the residents started to notice that the spherical objects were emerging from the cylindrical-shaped objects. Kind of as if the cylindrical object was the mothership releasing hundreds of these smaller spherical ships. So like uh, Independence Day. Yeah, yeah, pretty much every, you know, UFO movie you've seen, how it has a mothership and a whole bunch of smaller ones come out of it. Oh yeah, that's true. Shortly after the residents noticed that, that is when all hell broke loose. Those spherical objects that came out of the cylindrical ones started darting across the sky erratically and clashed with one another. This occurred for over an hour. And side note, during this, it is noted that some of these objects were seen flying out of the sun as if they were coming from inside of it. And some of the objects were seen flying into the sun as if they were going inside of it. Just like you mentioned earlier, this battle of these objects in the sky, it lasted for over an hour. Eventually, the objects started smoking and then fell down onto the earth where they landed outside of the city limits and it created immense smoke clouds that could be seen miles away. Now, immediately after that, a mysterious large black object that was in the shape of an arrow, appeared in the sky. And I wish we knew what happened after that, but we don't. Nothing more was said about the arrow-shaped object in the sky or what happened to it. And I know what you are all probably wondering. Dan, where the hell did all this information come from? Well, let us tell you about that real quick. So to understand where this information came from, we need to talk about an individual named Hans Glasser. So this Hans individual was born in Germany in the year 1500. 
and he eventually moved to Nuremberg, where he lived most of his life until he eventually died in 1573. Now, this Hans individual was an active member of the community in Nuremberg. He was a news publisher, woodcutter, letter painter, and a letter printer. So he was pretty much a jack-of-all-trades. He could do anything. They were like, damn, let's go get him to make us some letters and shit. In the late 1530s, Hans opened a workshop where he began creating printing blocks. Now, if you don't know what printing blocks are like I don't, we're going to explain this. All right, so to understand what printing blocks are, you have to understand what it was like in the 1500s to write something down. I mean, back then, it wasn't as easy as going and grabbing a piece of paper from the bottom of your printer and then grabbing a pen from your computer desk and then you're good to go to write down whatever you needed. Things were a lot harder. Back in the 1500s, quill pens were used to write. Now, how did you get these quill pens? Well, you would find a goose or a bird, then use a knife and cut a feather from it. The tip of that feather would then be dipped into ink, and that would be your quill pen. So when it came to paper, you had different options, okay? Some of the commonly used paper at that time was made from a pulp of hemp and linen. And the texture of it was very similar to what modern construction paper is like. So just visualize it as that, all right? The other option that you had uh, was using a different type of paper that was made from cotton. But not many people used that because it was more fragile. Now, if you were writing down something important, like a deed, then you would most likely use parchment, which was from the skin of a sheep. Also, if you were high class, you were, you know, ritzy ditzy Mr. Elite, and you had that money, you could use vellum to write on, which that was the skin from a baby sheep or lamb. So it wasn't an adult sheep or lamb, it was a baby one. Don't kill me, man. (laughs) Now that you understand what it was like writing something down in the 1500s, it was a pain in the ass. Let's go back to what printing blocks are. All right, I want you to imagine this. You're living in the 1500s. You were an average person at the time, okay, which means you were probably a peasant because 85 to 90% of the population at that time were peasants, okay? So unless you got really lucky, you weren't living very well. All right, anyway, so you're sitting in your little bitty house, right, that has no air conditioner, no electricity, nothing. You're sweating your ass off. You smell like a bag of shit because you haven't gone down to the public bathhouses to clean your ass off in a few weeks because you've been busy writing shit down with this quill pen. Random knowledge nugget? Only the rich had private baths. It was very common for peasants to go to the bathhouse and all bathe in public. So just an FYI. Yeah, only the rich bathed in private. The peasants had to go to the public bathhouses and show their stuff to everybody while they bathed. I bet you that was like the perfect time for creepers, you know. Anyway, let's get back to imagining, okay? So like I said, you're sitting in your house, you're sweating profusely, you're smelling horrible. For the past week, you've been sitting down on a very uncomfortable chair and you're writing a story on a piece of paper with your quill pen. Finally, after a week, 
you have finished writing it. And you think to yourself, This is a very good story. I even drew little pictures and stuff. I should probably make copies of this so I can share my work with other people. That's what you're probably thinking. Hey, this is a pretty damn good story. I need to share it. Now, at this time, you couldn't just go to a printer and make copies of the paper that you just spent a long-ass time writing. You had two choices. Either you could sit down, write it over and over again, making multiple copies by hand, drawing your little shitty pictures all over again, or you could hire someone who can make you a print block from wood. So if you decided to go the print block route, you would take your paper to an artist, and that artist would then take a block of wood and carve the image and the story you wrote down onto the surface of that wood. The surface of the wooden print block is then covered in ink. A piece of paper is placed on top of it. It is pressed. That ink is transferred over. And boom, you have a copy of your work. So kind of think of it like a stamp, sort of. Except it wasn't rubber. It was wood. So there you go. All right. So that is what a print block is. And like we previously stated, in the late 1530s, Hans opened a workshop where he began creating these printing blocks. Now, between the years of 1540 and 1572, Hans wrote quite a few broadsheets, which broadsheets back then were pretty much news articles that were on a single sheet of paper. So you could think of them as a single sheet of paper containing one news story. So Hans wrote these one-page articles, and with his printing blocks, he made copies of them and he distributed them throughout Germany. Now, many of these one-page articles, a.k.a. broadsheets, that Hans had written, they were quite normal for the time. And over the next 450 years, many people didn't think much of them. They were like, hey, cool, Hans Glass's work, it was really hard for him to do. They don't look odd or anything. However, in 1959, Carl Gustav Jung, who was a Swiss psychiatrist and author, he wrote a book titled Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Skies. Now, in this book, Carl analyzed the meaning of UFOs in previous historical sightings. One of the historical sightings that he mentioned was from a broadsheet article that was printed in April of 1561 by Hans Glasse. This broadsheet was a single piece of paper, like we stated before. The top half of it contained a drawing of what appeared to be the city of Nuremberg. And in the top half in the sky, there was a giant sun along with multiple weird-shaped objects surrounding it. And below the sun, there was a giant black arrow. Now, on the bottom half of this broadsheet, There's multiple paragraphs that explain what occurred on April 14th, 1561. So that paragraph in the news article written by Hans is where the information came from about the weird objects in the sky over Nuremberg. Now, it is worth noting that the news article is written in a different language. However, we were able to get it translated and this is what it said. In the morning of April 14th, 1561, at daybreak, between 4 and 5 a.m., a dreadful apparition occurred on the sun, and then 
this was seen in Nuremberg in the city and in the country by many men and women. At first there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircular arcs, just like the moon in its last quarter. And in the sun, above and below on both sides, the color was blood. There stood a round ball of partly dull, partly black color. Likewise, there stood on both sides of the sun such blood-red ones and other balls in large numbers, and three in a line and four in a square, also some alone. In between these globes, there were a few blood-red crosses, which there were blood-red strips becoming thicker to the rear. In the front were the rods, which were intermingled, one on the right and the other to the left, and within the small and big rods, there were three or four more globes. These all started to fight amongst themselves, so that the globes, which were first in the sun, flew out to the ones standing on both sides. Thereafter, the globes standing outside of the sun, in the small and large rods, flew into the sun. The globes flew back and forth among themselves and fought with each other for over an hour. And when the conflict in and out of the sun was most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they all fell from the sun down upon the earth as if they all burned, and they then wasted away on the earth with immense smoke. After all this, there was something like a black spear, very long and thick. The shaft pointed to the east, the point pointed west. Now, after this explanation, Hans kind of goes into a speech about it maybe being God's work. It isn't very long, but I just wanted to mention it real quick. So Hans says, Whatever such signs mean, God alone knows. Although we have seen, shortly one after another, many kinds of signs of heaven which are sent to us by the Almighty God to bring us repentance, we still are, unfortunately, so ungrateful that we despise such high signs and miracles of God. Or we speak of them with ridicule and discard them to the wind in order that God may send us fighting punishment on account of our ungratefulness. After all, the God-fearing will by no means discard these signs, but will take it to heart as a warning of their merciful Father in heaven, will mend their lives and faithfully beg God that he may avert his wrath, including the well-deserved punishment on us, so that we may temporarily here and perpetually there live as his children. For may God grant us his help. Amen. So that is what the news article said. And we do have an actual photograph of the article itself, which we will post it up on our website. So if you want to go take a look at it, just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on references, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and it will be right there for you. And I do have to say, it is very odd looking. That looks like a giant ship over a city. Does it not? It does. And then you have all these weird, colorful objects just all in the sky. Someone tripping on some LSD. Well, yeah, it's funny you mention that, because that's one of our theories. Oh. So that right there is the story of the 1561 Nuremberg UFO battle. 
And of course, like we said, at the time, no one really talked about this event. Only Hans did in this broadsheet, which was this one-page news article. Then everyone sort of kind of forgot about it until it was mentioned in Carl's book in the 1950s during the whole UFO hype. Now, it was at that point when this story became popular and a lot of people started to point at it as being, hey, that's proof of extraterrestrial visitors. However, there are a lot of other people who say that, hey, it's just a natural phenomenon or maybe it's a mass hallucination or a bunch of other things. And before we get deep into discussing those theories, we have some strange facts and findings that we came across while researching this topic that we wanted to discuss before we jump into some other stuff. So, Dan, why don't you start it off for us and tell us about our first one? All right. So the first strange fact and finding that we are going to cover is about Hans Glasse. Now, we started to look into him and found that a lot of his previous publishings have been archived in a library in Zurich, Switzerland. Of course, when we found this, we inquired about the archived collection and were granted access to it. Now, a lot of his work was pretty typical. It was just him reporting the news and shit. However, there were a few reports that we thought were super weird and that we should mention. So the first one that we're going to talk about is a report from Hans that happened near Waldeck, Germany in 1554. So many residents in that town reported at night that they saw knights, actual noblemen like King Arthur and his knights, those types, that they were up in the sky fighting one another. So Hans heard about this, and he ended up writing about it. And in the report that he made about this, it has a paragraph describing it, but also at the end of it, he starts talking about the Apostle Paul, angels, as well as God and Jesus Christ, and tries to connect those sightings of these big-ass knights in the sky fighting to have like a religious meaning. So just keep that in mind. Now, we do have a photograph of that, and of course, if you want to take a look at it, just head to our website. Yeah, so there you go. Just like I said, a giant photograph of what appears to be multiple knights fighting one another, one sitting down in a chair with looks like a giant feather, and uh, you have another knight laying in the ground, and this is all up in the sky that these citizens of this Valdic Germany are, are stating that they've seen. They look like they're holding swords, but the swords have like a glow to them. Yeah, I guess you're right. I at first thought it was a feather that they were holding. All right, so there you go. Uh, if you want to see it, just go to our website. Now, we aren't going to hop into theories just yet about what this could be, but I do think it is worth mentioning that Harvard University, they actually looked into this one, and they made an official statement regarding it. They stated that the citizens of Valdic probably saw the Aurora Borealis that night, and they ended up reporting it to Hans so that he could write about it. However, at the time, the citizens didn't know what the hell the Aurora Borealis was. They were just like, hey, bunch of weird lights, probably knights fighting. They reported it to Hans. Hans probably embellished what was seen or reported and attached religious significance to it. That's what Harvard stated. And I just wanted to state that before we move on to the next one. And this is not bashing religion, okay? I'm just laying out all the facts that we came across, and then we'll get into theories, okay? 
I'm not saying anything bad about religion, all right? But as you know, we don't talk about religion or politics on this podcast. I'm just pointing out what we found, okay? All right. So, Dan, you want to tell us about this next one that we found? So this next weird article that we found from Hans wasn't something in the sky flying around, but actually something that fell from the sky. So this article states that in 1554, over the town of Dinkelsville, is that how it said? Dinkelsville. Over the town of Dinkelsville, <laughs> Germany, the sky rained blood down onto the city. Of course, we have that report as well, and we will have it on our website for you to go look at. Yeah, and it's pretty much just a one-page report, just like the past two that we've talked about. has a paragraph at the bottom, and then up top is a picture of the city of Dinkelsburg, and uh, it's raining, and the rain is fairly big, but I assume it's blood, because that's what he says in the paragraph. It's like Oakville blobs. Exactly. Yeah, that was a weird episode. We did that one a long time ago. Oh, yeah. So on the surface, that seems weird, right? Blood raining from the sky. However, it wasn't actually blood. And I don't want to get into theories again, but we got to state this, okay? Many people back then thought it was blood. And because of this, they used it as a way to say, hey, look, blood's raining from the sky. God is mad at everyone. You must stop sinning. Travis, quit going, quit going over there and spying on the peasants in the bathhouse. The hell's wrong with you? That's why it's raining blood. Everybody's over here with a swinging with the dicks out. Mary can't even go have a bath in peace. Goddamn. You gonna go blind doing that. So, I, and I just want to state that because I'm not bashing religion. I'm just saying this is how the people were back then. This is how they reacted. Blood was raining down. They were very religious. They were like, oh, God's mad at us. You must stop sinning. However, we did look into this one, and there is a plausible explanation as to what happened. Dan, tell them what it was. So what the red rain actually was were aerial spores of green microalgae, Trentifolia annulata, which got sucked up into the clouds and turned the rain to the color of red. Some knowledge nuggets for you right there. Yeah, and scientists didn't even figure this out until around 2015. I believe they were studying areas where uh, this red rain had fallen and they had taken samples and they identified that it was this microalgae that had been sucked up into the clouds. Interesting. Yeah, which is kind of scary because this got me down the rabbit hole of deadly funguses and like what if there was a deadly fungus that started spreading across the entire world and if you breathed it in, it developed rapidly and caused your lungs to turn into mushrooms and of course you couldn't breathe and you died that'd be a good scary movie deadly fungus kind of reminds me of the game last of us i've never played that it has like the old guy and like the girl they're like traveling but there's like this fungus stuff that grows in like in certain areas like you have to have like a mask on well never mind <laughs> scrap that movie idea i mean that would actually still be a badass movie though all right so let's talk about our next strange fact and finding which is about what happened in Switzerland. So as we got done looking into Hans' work, we decided to start digging around the interwebs to see if there were any more reports of weird UFO crafts or orbs attacking one another in the sky around that time in various cities or other countries. And you know what? We actually did 
find a report of a similar event. And this one took place over a three-day period in Basel, Switzerland in 1566. So what occurred is that on July 27th, people in the town of Basel were having a normal day. However, around 9 p.m., the sun took a weird different shape and color. People reported that the sun lost all of its radiance and luster and suddenly was no bigger than the full moon. And finally it, and I quote, weep tears of blood and the air behind it went dark. The next day, the sun rose at around 6 a.m., which was the typical time. However, it was a different color. At that point, the sky turned blood red. Following that, the sun went back to normal for about a week or so. Then, on August 7th, 1566, is when the third event took place. At dawn, as the sun was rising up out of the sky, large black spheres covered the skies, going all around in great speeds, just zooming all around. And then the residents of that area reported that the sun, and I quote, chattered as if it led a fight. It was at that point the black orbs that were zooming all around in the sky, they turned a fiery red color, crumbled, and then extinguished. So we do have the news report of that, which has an illustration of what it looked like back then. And of course, if you want to see that, just head to our website, click on references, scroll down, and the picture will be right there for you. And just like all the other ones, it's a one-page picture, has a paragraph of text at uh, the bottom half of it, and on the top half, it has an illustration of people standing around in the city and uh, the sun up in the sky and a bunch of black orbs everywhere. You know what amazes me about this, though? What? Is that there's no lines on the paper, but the, their like, writing is like so straight across. Yeah. I know this is just a copy of it, but it's a copy of what was written. How did they get it so straight? Mine, even when I write it on a piece of paper, somehow it ends up going like a curve down or a curve upward, and I'm like, damn. Yeah. Shit looks all weird now. I need to go back on the Montauk chair and learn how to write. <laughs> Get you a quill. That's right. That's probably the magic right there is the quill. So let's talk about our next strange fact and finding, which is about a 3,500-year-old document. And this document talked about a strange object in the sky. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. It'll be real quick. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So like I was saying, we're going to get into our next strange fact and finding, which is about a 3,500-year-old document that talked about a weird object in the sky. So Dan, have you ever heard about the Tully Papyrus? No. Neither have I, until I stumbled upon it when doing research for this episode. And I have to say, it is extremely weird, and I got sucked down a rabbit hole, and it is crazy. Okay, you ready? I'm ready, let's go. All right. So back in the early 1950s, there was a writer named Tiffany Thayer. And Tiffany, it was a dude, he received a package in the mail from Boris D. Rechowitz, who was an Italian-Russian Egyptologist and who also worked as an informant for the Italian Domestic Intelligence Agency, S-I-S-D-E. 
which was kind of like their version of the CIA. So Tiffany opened up this package and it contained various ancient letters. And just a little FYI, Boris had claimed that these letters had been left behind by Alberto Tullo, who was the Vatican's museum director who had recently passed away. So Tiffany started reading through these ancient documents and was shocked at what it contained. These documents talked about an unusual event that unfolded during the reign of Pharaoh Thutmose III, which was between 1479 and 1425 BCE. Now, this occurred almost 3,500 years ago. So this document stated that a, and I quote, circle of fire descended from the sky and its mouth had a foul odor, but the object itself didn't have a head. This bizarre object was described as being about 15 feet across, and then it just sat there in the sky for several days. Eventually, more of these objects began to appear. An apparent fleet of unexplained entities appearing as though out of nowhere and stretching across the sky until one evening, the objects rose in unison and moved south over the horizon, never to be seen again. So this pharaoh supposedly ordered these strange events to be recorded immediately in which it was stored away until the Vatican found it and then hid it from the public, supposedly. How weird is that? The Vatican's museum director gave these documents to Boris, who was pretty much the CIA of Italy. He sent it to Tiffany, and then Tiffany reported about it. That is very weird. Yeah. All right. So the last strange fact and finding that we're going to talk about is just as weird. And it is another ancient report about objects in the sky. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break. So don't go nowhere. All right. Welcome back. So let's go over our last strange fact and finding. So there was an individual who lived way back in the day named Titus Livius, a.k.a. Livy. Most people know him as Livy. So he was born way back in the day, like I said, around 60 BCE. Now, if you like history and you studied it a little bit, then you probably know about Livy. He's considered as one of the leading historians of ancient times. His work, The History of Rome, is considered one of the primary sources for understanding ancient Roman culture. Now, in his written accounts of the history of Rome, Livy covers the civilization's story from its legendary founding around 753 BCE all the way to the year 9 BCE. So most of the accounts of history are pretty normal. However, there are a few events that he talks about that are, you know, very odd. Yeah, extremely odd. The first one is when he talks about the year 218 BCE. So Livy wrote that phantom ships had been seen gleaming in the sky over Rome, which was very odd because, of course, back then, Nothing was in the sky besides birds. So to say a ship was in the sky, very weird. Now, this wasn't the last time he mentioned something weird like that because he stated the following year, round objects that looked like shields were seen in the sky, except this time it was over the ancient city of Apri. Then he, uh, he stated in 
173 BCE that there was a great fleet of ships in the sky close to the city of Lanuvium. He stated three times in 218 BCE that there was phantom ships in the sky, and then a year later, there were round ship-looking objects that he said looked like shields in the sky, and then in 173 BCE, that there was a great fleet of ships in the sky. So three separate occasions. And all of his accounts are used by modern-day historians to explain what Rome was like back in the day. So it's not like he was some off-the-wall historian who wrote shit that, you know, was made up. Well, I mean, he might have, you know, and everything we know about Rome is wrong. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think of that? Pretty weird, huh? That is pretty weird. Phantom ships in the sky over rope. That would have freaked anybody out, especially back then. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much the last strange fact and finding. Now we're going to transition into the theories section and kind of talk about what could have been in the sky that day in 1561 over Nuremberg. And we do have a few theories that we wrote out that we're going to go over. And Dan, do you want to cover this first one? So our first theory is probably the most commonly believed theory as to what was over the sky of Nuremberg. This theory is that the entire thing was not UFOs fighting one another, but actually it was an atmospheric phenomenon known as Sundog, which we talked about that in a previous episode. I forgot which one, though. Yeah, we did, because we got a lot of um, listener emails of their own photographs of sundogs. Yeah. So, if you haven't heard that episode, a sundog is basically Earth's atmosphere or ice in the upper parts of the sky acting as a prism or a reflective device, making the light from the sun or moon do wacky and sometimes zany things. Now, it is worth noting that on that day, though, Nuremberg had the perfect weather conditions for this to occur. Yeah, and we have a couple pictures of just what a sundog is and what it looks like, and uh, we'll attach that to our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it, or you could just go to any search engine, type in sundog, and you'll see the sun coming up, and there's like a halo around it, and then another halo, and then another halo coming the opposite way. Sort of weird looking if you don't know what you're looking at. It makes it look like there's multiple suns in the sky. Beautiful, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yes or no? Are you with this theory? Ooh, I want to say yes and no. Because, I mean, yes for, you know, like the orbs and stuff in the sky, but for that big, like, black triangular, you know, arrow thing in the sky, I don't know how this would explain that, though. Yep, and you know, a lot of people, that's what they say, uh, if they lean towards this atmospheric explanation as to what was over Nuremberg, they they say, yeah, I I believe this theory, but I don't know about that black object. What was that? And nobody has a real good explanation as to what it was, unless you believe our next theory that we're going to talk about, which is called asteroid. So this theory states that what if the black spear-like object that was in the sky was actually an asteroid entering Earth's atmosphere, and those other smaller objects that were being described were part of the asteroid that had broken off of it as it went through our atmosphere and burned up in the sky as it was falling down. 
Now, some will say, well, what about these objects in the sky being reported as having different colors? Well, we do know that different elements burn different colors, like copper, for an example. It burns green. So those different colors, maybe they were just different elements from that asteroid breaking off, burning up. Hmm. And that bigger, blacker shadow was just the asteroid itself. And that just pretty much just flew by. Yeah. And uh, when people say they heard stuff crashing and smoke in the distance, that was just the asteroid hitting. I could believe that. I kind of lean more towards this, but I have another theory to add to it, but we'll talk about that later. So tell us about this next theory we have, Dan. All right. So our next theory is called fungus hallucination. So to understand this theory, you have to know what rye ergot fungus is. It is pretty much a parasite that latches on to rye crops, but also wheat, barley, oats, and wild grass. When people eat this contaminated food, they experience abdominal pains, delirium, and hallucinations that have been described by many as flames of hellish creatures. Alright, so we know that there weren't any other reports by neighboring towns or any other eyewitness reports of this happening. So what if Hans had eaten something that was contaminated with the fungus, hallucinated the entire thing, and then wrote about it in the news? Mm. When I read up about this fungus, not only does it give you hallucinations, but it also could kill you, is what I read. So, I, I, I don't know. Then how would he be the only one that ate contaminated food? I don't know, maybe he had his own stash. He could have. You know what? I looked and looked for videos or any information that accurately described what it was like to live in the 1560s in Nuremberg, Germany. All I found was the Nuremberg Nazi trials. Oh, my God. I dug and dug and dug. I found a few videos on YouTube which kind of described, you know, like the statistics about peasants and stuff like that and what was commonly ate and stuff like that. But nobody really described what it was like to be a peasant. So if uh, you or a loved one were a peasant in 1561 in Nuremberg, send me an email. I would love to hear about it. We need to go to one of those medieval, like, times. Not the medieval times, but... uh, The Renaissance Festival. Yes. You know what? We're moving to Austin less than a month. And let's see, where is it at? I think it's in Waxahachie, Texas. Yeah, it's in Waxahachie, which is up north of Waco. It's about, I don't know, like 30 minutes north of Waco, right off I-35. They have the Scarborough Renaissance Festival. And it is held in late May, so we missed it by a month. It won't be there till next year. But I've been to it multiple times. And you dress up in your medieval guard and go there. And everybody's dressed up. And it's like a giant town. It's super fun. Ooh, Texas Renaissance Festival in pretty much right outside of Houston, October 8th, 2022. I'm down. Join us for the 48th annual Texas Renaissance Festival. I'm going to dress up like a pirate. You're in the wrong era. (laughs) I don't care. I came here for some booty. (laughs) How dare you speak to the king that way? All right, yeah, we'll plan that. That'd be fun. I'm going to dress up as the court jester. I'm going to make fun of everybody. All right, so we have, for theories, 
uh, it being an atmospheric phenomenon, it being maybe an asteroid, it maybe being a fungus. Now, let's talk about this next theory, which is about religion. So, like I stated previously, we don't talk about religion or politics on this podcast. However, I'm going to make an exception for the next 60 seconds or so to explain this theory, okay? So, what if when these people in the town of Nuremberg would go to Hans and say, hey, this happened, or I saw a weird light in the sky, he took that. He was like, okay, uh, since I'm the news guy and make these broadsheets, I'm going to over-exaggerate these accounts of events, and I'm going to connect them with religious values so that more people in the town could be followers of Christianity or followers of whatever religion I push them towards. So basically, he was using this as a form of religious propaganda, and that's all it was. These were just accounts that were given to him. He over-exaggerated them, connected them with religious values, and is pretty much a form of religious propaganda. Yeah, I mean, back then, like in the 1500s and stuff, Christianity or the Catholic Church and all that held a shit ton of influence and power. So everyone believed in pretty much that. So him doing this, I could see that. Exactly. So there we go. Religious talk over. All right. Off of religion and now on to our next theory. Dan, tell us about it. This theory is pretty straightforward. It is that this entire story was true and that there were indeed UFOs fighting one another in the sky. I want to believe this one so bad. I want to just, oh, Hans, why couldn't you have wrote more in detail of what they were? Yeah, the only thing that I find is just very hard for me to believe this is there are no other reports of this occurring. At that same time, like there were no documents found from other people in the city of Nuremberg. They're like, hey, you know, written down, man, I fucking saw a weird ass thing in the sky the other day, you know, some friggin' ships in the sky flying around. What the hell was that? Betty dumped our porridge on the ground. And so I had to go gather up some more grain and rye. But then again, people back then didn't really know how to read or write. I was just thinking that. And if they did write something like that, the church probably shut their shit down. I did see rumors, and I can't say this is a fact because I couldn't find it anywhere, but I did see rumors online of people stating that Hans was told by the Nuremberg Council at the time, hey, you need to quit embellishing these stories. But like I said, I didn't find any facts to back that up. It was just a lot of people online saying that, but I couldn't find any sources, so... Take that with a grain of salt. Mm. But I started thinking about the whole thing being aliens, right? I started thinking, what if it was aliens? And then that got me to think about the Nazis. And I know that's weird to think about, but just hear me out. I have a theory, all right? And this theory I titled Seek and Destroy. Now, this theory that I thought of, it assumes that the objects that were in the sky at the time were actually UFOs. And I just want you to go with it for a minute, okay? Imagine that they were UFOs. So you know how in 1561, Hans reported that those objects crashed down to Earth and they were, quote-unquote, smoking, and the smoke could be seen for miles. And if you look back at that photograph of where it is smoking, right there, I've identified that location as being a mausoleum with various underground pathways and stuff. Very weird. 
okay, because it's located right next to the church outside of the city. So that got me to think, what if those UFOs crashed down, the people in the town just bricked it up, and fast forward year, hundreds, 400 years later, the Nazis, you know, they had all these rumors surrounding them about alien technology and how they were searching for various treasures and all this weird stuff, you know, how they wanted to see the Spear of Destiny. So yeah, they were looking just for various weird artifacts. And what if the Nazis said, hey, you guys remember that story from 1561 of objects crashing down in Nuremberg? Why don't we go see for ourselves? Let's go see if we can find the wreckage. So they ended up going there. They found the wreckage. They used it to recreate UFOs. And then Hitler hopped in one of them and escaped to Argentina. Or he escaped to Antarctica. Or he didn't escape at all. He found this technology and they were think they could take over the world with it. Or maybe the technology itself was like an organism. And once they found it, it took over Hitler. And the alien was in Hitler's body and he was like, I can take over the world. And Hitler was actually being possessed by an alien spirit. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, how cool of a book would that be? You know, when you say Spirit of Destiny, that black spear in the sky, what if that's the Spear of Destiny? That's what it looks like, don't it? It does. It looks like a spear tip. But a lot bigger. And we actually covered the Spear of Destiny on Patreon, I believe. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, we go super into detail about it. It's very interesting, all the rumors and how supposedly the Vatican has it and all this stuff, which, speaking of them, we have to do an episode over everything that they supposedly have hidden away from the public. It's a lot. Like the chronovisor, the thing that can see into the future or the past, I can't remember which, one of those. Oh, I remember you did a Theories Thursday on that. Yeah. Very strange. All right, so now let's transition into personal thoughts and theories. Dan. I want to hear your thoughts, your theories. What do you think this entire thing was? Do you think it was all made up by Hans? Do you think it really happened? What's the verdict? I believe it was an over-exaggeration. It could have been the sun dog. Like, I still can't explain what the black sphere thing was, unless he was, like, looking at something else as well. You think that might have been a representation of the shadow that emerged when the sun comes up, how the shadow disappears? This happened in the morning, right? Yeah, as the sun was rising. He said between 4 and 5 a.m., but there's a website where you can go to and type in date and time and location, and you can see what time the sun uh, rose. And it was like 6.08 a.m. or some shit like that. So it was just coming, well, still trying to make its way above the horizon. Yeah. Maybe it was casting a shadow off of something. Maybe. The weird thing is, is that the sun hadn't risen yet. It was just coming, like, barely over the horizon. And he was stating that there was multiple objects flying in and out of the sun. How could he see that? The sun hadn't even, hadn't even been up yet. It was still down. Maybe he wasn't actually looking at the real sun. So like, say, our first image that we have for the sun dog, the real sun's pretty much just coming over the horizon, but there's one north of it or, like, above it. Maybe he was seeing that and he was just seeing probably some birds flying in and out of the sun. Regardless, this entire thing is weird. And I honestly think, as weird as this story is, the story that Titus talks about, or not story, but the accounts that Titus gives when he talks about the history of Rome, about those great fleets of ships in the sky, 
in 100 to 200 BCE, those, I think, are the weirdest. Yeah, especially being in Rome. They were just, you know, chilling, seeing how their creations are doing. Now, don't want to get too much into religion, but back in Rome, what did they believe in? So the Roman Empire was pretty much a polytheistic civilization, which meant that they worshipped multiple gods and goddesses. Hmm. Yeah. Would it be like Zeus and all that stuff? Like the Greek gods? Or Yeah. Do so you think maybe they thought they might have been like the gods in the sky? Yeah, having a all-out war against the, well, if you go back in like the mythology stuff, the, was it the Titans? Yeah. Maybe they were going off of that. Maybe. All I know is this entire thing's weird. So what's your final verdict on it? What are you sticking with? I'm sticking with the sun dog in that it must have been casting a shadow of something that caught his eye because, like you said, you look back, the sun hasn't fully risen yet, but he was seeing stuff flying in and out of it. You know, that could have been birds for all we know. I'm thinking it was the sun dog and casting a shadow. And kind of over-exaggeration on his part? Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to respectfully disagree, Dan. No, no, no. We can't have that on the show. Get out of here. Yes, we're having that. No, no. I think it was aliens. Honestly, I'm going that route. You think so? I think so, man. I think that they were more open and free and were just kind of looking around at the civilization back then and they were having this intergalactic war. But why wasn't it written down by anybody else? Because, like you stated, if anyone else would have written about this, the church would have, you know, strung them up. Not strung them up, but off with the head, you know? Well, I mean, like, other countries should have been able to see this, right? If it did fly in and out of the sun, yes. I don't think it was as far as they thought it was. I think the UFOs were, like, coming over the horizon. They were fighting one another. Hmm. Could be wrong, which I probably am. It's just an atmospheric phenomenon, but I want to believe it's aliens so bad. I mean, I would love for it to be it was aliens, but from a logical standpoint, I believe it's the atmospherical uh, phenomenon. Okay, all right. Atmospherical phenomenon with an asteroid thrown inside there. If I really had to choose one, I would like it be like the Battle of the Gods because I love mythology stuff like that. But no, Sundog. All right, cousin of Updog. <laughs> What's up, dog? Not much. What's up with you? All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we go to our next section? If you knew how they wrote in very neat lines without any lines, let me know. <laughs> I want to write better. Oh, yeah. How they wrote straight across. Yeah. If you or a loved one have witnessed a UFO in the early 1500s, please send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. Or you can send us a voice message. We have our phone number on our website. Just go to our website, click on contact. There you will find our phone number. Give it a call. We will not answer it. It will go straight to voicemail and you can leave a voicemail. So there you go. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of today's episode. I guess now we're going to transition to our on the scene. So if you aren't familiar with what our on the scene is, it's where an individual, could be anybody in the world, goes and talks to other individuals or maybe uh, talks to family members or just talks to themselves and gives us their opinions on current conspiracies and happenings in the world. And anyone can do this. All you have to do is get your phone and record the interview. Uh, just make sure it's less than two minutes long. And then when you're done, you can submit it to us via email at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. 
or you can send it to dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and we will put it in line to be played at the end of the show each week. All right, so this week's On the Scene, it comes from me. It's going to be a live On the Scene, and I've had my name in queue, ladies and gentlemen. Dan can vouch for me, haven't I? I can vouch for him. It has been in queue, waiting. I do not cut the line, okay? It's been in queue. It's made its way up to the top. And I wanted to do a little live on the scene, all right? So I'm making a phone call to an individual, and I'm going to get their opinion on the historical findings that we just talked about. Hello? Question. Titus Livius, a.k.a. Livy. He was born way back in the day in 60 BCE. Titus's work is the history of Rome, and it's considered one of the primary sources for understanding Roman culture back in the day, all right? Now, I want you to think about this. He recorded that in 218 BCE, and then again a year later in 219 BCE, and then again in 173 BCE, that there were a great fleet of ships in the sky. What is your opinion on that? Do you think that in ancient Rome, there were aliens and UFOs flying over? He's probably tripping on shrooms. He was probably tripping on shrooms. Or some other type of psychedelic. Maybe a fungus? He hooked up with his homegirl and she was like, yo, try these. Oh my God. So you think that he just took shrooms and that's what he's saying? Yeah. Do you think that aliens even exist? Yeah, I do. Then what makes you think that they weren't back in the day in Rome just looking at everybody up in the sky? Because aliens are racist. They don't like Romanians. <laughs> Talked to them before. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, that's a horrible thing to say, making those type of accusations. Okay. Well, what are you doing? I'm recording. Oh. All right. What a horrible live on the scene, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. Any final words you want to say to the listeners? Um, go follow us on... Oh, God. <laughs> you ain't getting a free promo out of me, bitch. <laughs> Almost got it. What a horrible uh, on the scene. I'm sorry. We'll go back to the normal on the scene next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's transition to our shout outs. Uh, so for email shout outs, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Torino or Joseph T or Junior for short. His birthday was the 18th, which was this past Saturday. And he was wondering if you could give me a birthday shout-out. Can I request that you and Dan duet a birthday song to me? That would be awesome. Dan? A duet a song for his birthday? Yeah. All right, you ready? Oh, what song are we going with? Hey, happy birthday to you. We're just doing the normal happy birthday. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. You're the one with the guitar. Play something. Hey, Junior. It's your birthday. Oh, my <laughs> God. All right, Junior. That's the best you're going to get out of us. Happy birthday. Love you, and I'm proud of you. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Shout out to Dallas Ramos. He said he loves the podcast and that him and his wife listen all the time on their road trips before falling asleep. Oh, and at night before falling, before the falling asleep at night. I thought he meant that he was driving on road trips and falling asleep. I was like, damn, we put you to sleep. Damn. 
Anyways, uh, he made a suggestion for an episode, and then he said, P.S., I have a birthday on June 27th, and my wife Tiffany uh, has a birthday on July 15th. It would be awesome to be sung to like the recent Bigfoot episode. Also, I'm going to be in Alaska in the next couple weeks. Going to keep my eyes peeled out for Bigfoot, too. Well, I hate to tell you this, Dallas. Uh, Bigfoot is not in Alaska. You're going to be approaching his cousin, the Yeti. A lot more ferocious and uh, a lot more sexual his encounters tend to be. So watch out. Make sure to have bear spray when you're in Alaska if you're out exploring. Yeah. Definitely have that on you. All right. You want to give uh, Dallas and Tiffany a happy birthday? Sure. Let's see. What song could we do? Oh, my God. Dallas and Tiffany are back again. Husband and wife, everybody sing. Gonna bring the flavor, show you how. Got a question for you. How you enjoy your birthday? <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. Happy birthday. There you go. A little bit of Backstreet Boys for you. All right, another birthday shout out for um, Karina. I got an email from Johnny, who is your boyfriend. He said that your birthday is June 24th and was hoping if you could give her a big birthday shout-out. It will be one day after the Thursday episode on the 23rd, which is what today is. She put me onto your guys' podcast last summer, and I don't miss a single episode. Every Thursday, I go online and check what the new topic is. Maybe you can say on my behalf that I care about her, and I love her, and I look forward to every second we have together. I cherish the good and the bad. It's a balance of both. But anything is doable. Damn. Johnny took his time out of his day to tell you that, Karina. That was very sweet. To tell us about you and your birthday and how much he loves you. And I want you to know that he loves you, okay? He cares about you. And Dan's going to sing you a happy birthday, so here you go. Go away, Dan. Or, go away. Go away, Go for it, Dan. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Karina. Nah. Peeking through your windows, looking in. Oh, look, it's Karina. She's eating food again. It's 3 a.m. at night. I'm going to bust through your windows and get into a fight with Johnny. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a really bad rap. I don't know why I said that. Anyway. That was mean. <laughs> Happy birthday, Karina. I hope it's a good one. And thank you for the email, Johnny. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. All right, let's see. I think I have... Oh. There's one I missed last week, but this is from Dustin Weber. Said, hey, I'm here every Thursday, getting the scoop, sticking it to the man and listening to your podcast at work. I like that. Nice. He said, June 14th is my girlfriend Catherine's birthday. I'll be taking her to see Hamilton that night. Her favorite theory is that the birds work for the bourgeoisie, which I had no idea what that word meant, so I had to Google it, and it means the capitalist class who owns most of society's wealth and means of production. Bourgeoisie. New word for the day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, Dan is going to give you a happy birthday, Catherine. Take it away, Dan. Happy birthday, Catherine. Woohoo! Let me do a couple Instagram shout-outs real quick, and then I'll hand the microphone over to you. These are going to be pretty quick. So, on Instagram, I want to give a shout-out to Rare Candy to MetaZoo Games, to the Wood Jedi, Stephen Sharman, Deb Crush, Germs, Knights0919, Lalo Marin, Alex Farito, Gio Landrios, Turner Bryan, 
Savannah Cheyenne, Holly L, Rowan L. Said, hey, can I get a shout out? There you go, Rowan. Um, Anthony L, Beth James, Zane D, Lexi, Dylan Dix, Alexandria, Vic, Rat, and Michael D. D -d -d And I'll save my personal Instagram shoutouts for next week. So, Dan, what do you have for Facebook shoutouts this week? All right. So, I got a little list here. Going to start it off. We got Steve V, Courtney R, Vince F, Muttley J, Brennick D, Nick P, Will C, Laz H. I think I said your name right. L O Z. Not really sure. Uh, John R, Turner B, Matt G, Mike. R, Tom L, Nate and Diane T, Nicholas S, and Kelly D, and then a Jerry R, and then a birthday shout out to Marshall D. His birthday is on June twenty fourth, which is the Friday, I believe. Happy birthday, Marshall! Happy birthday to you! Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday, Marshall! Yeah, yeah. And that's the end of my shout outs. Nice. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Do you have anything you want to mention before we roll this episode out? Uh, no, I'm good. All right. I have one thing I want to mention real quick before we roll this out. August 23rd through the 26th, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th. Actually, it'll more than likely be 24th, 25th, and 26th. Just those days. Me and Dan will be in Dallas at the Podcast Movement 2022. It is the world's largest podcast conference. And there's going to be a lot of people there like Mark Cuban and stuff like that. They're going to be speaking. It's like a three or four day event. It's pretty cool. If you want to come, feel free. I think tickets are pretty pricey though. 300 bucks or something like that. Damn. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty much a conference for anybody that's like a podcaster or maybe they want to get into podcasting or maybe they've been doing podcasting for a long time. And they all kind of get together and they talk about the podcast space and uh, basically tell their stories and talk about different equipment and what works and what doesn't and stuff like that. So if you want to go and you want to learn about podcasting and you want to hear me talk in front of a crowd and uh, be extremely anxious, uh, feel free. You know, you can go there if you, if you want. You can pick my brain and talk to me about podcasting, and I'll tell you everything you need to know. Bring a dozen eggs. If you don't like his speech, you could throw it at him. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be amazing. That'd be hilarious. I'd catch him and I'd eat him raw. And then he'd just, like, start flexing. <sighs> Protein. Rip off my shirt. That's the end of my speech. All right, I don't have anything more else to talk about, so I guess I'm going to roll it out. Understood. I want to thank everyone, all of you, for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, and I mean that, and I'm proud of every single one of you, and I love you all. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.